And thank you for being a member of the History of World War II podcast. Episode 157, Ever Deeper into Russia. Last time, the Totenkopf and Polizzi divisions had just gone through the meat grinder that was one of Stalin's counterattacks. There would be more in the future, but the survivors, by the fall of 1941, now had to deal with General Winter. But as bad as things were for the SS divisions and Army Group North, Kampfgruppe Nord, fighting even further to the north, had their own worse version of hell. Parallel with the northern tip of Finland, the port city of Murmansk, which sits on both banks of the fjord Kola Bay, had Hitler's attention early on during Barbarossa. His fear, because this was something that he would do, and hence judged Stalin capable of it, was that a Russian attack from Murmansk would be sent out to cut off Germany's access to the Swedish iron ore mines, vital to his war production. This would mean invading Sweden, but again, as that meant nothing to Hitler, it probably meant nothing to the Soviet leader. With this thinking, Murmansk had to be taken and occupied, so the Soviets could not use it as a jumping-off point. But in order for an attack to be successful, first the supply line feeding and equipping the defending troops in that port city had to be cut so they would weaken, and Kampfgruppe Nord would be a part of this. But first things first. When Obergruppenführer Karl Demonhuber first took command of Nord in May of 1941, he saw right away these men, former concentration camp guards or policemen, with reservists mixed in, past the proper age, were in no condition to go into battle. Further, as they had been in Norway after that country fell to Nazi Germany, this lack of combat made them even softer and now they were to assist in taking and holding Murmansk? So Dumel Huber practically begged for a few months to whip them into shape, but the response was, one, there isn't enough time, and two, don't worry, their zeal as SS Nazi soldiers would see them through, and orders were orders. The drive began on July 1st, 1941, as the German Finnish force that included Kampfgruppe Nord, crossed into Soviet territory. Their first objective was to take the town of Sala, about 100 miles southwest of Murmansk. The good news was that the attackers were traveling through a dense pine forest, which hid their approach. But then came the downside. As the Germans and Finns came ever closer to Sala, the Luftwaffe bombarded the Soviet defenders around the town to soften them up. This generally worked, but it also set the trees on fire, forcing the attackers to spread out and continue on as best they could through the thick smoke. The SS unit was roughly in the middle of the attack line, but now was itself disorganized. As such, it came at its part of the Soviet line piecemeal and was chewed up the same way. This was on July 3rd and the attackers were going to try again the next day. But before the sun could rise on July 4th, Soviet tanks crashed through the forest and began chasing back the Germans and Finns. During the first attack, the SS men had the excuse that they were jumbled when they launched their attack, but this time they had no such excuse. 
and their reaction was even worse than before. The other German and Finnish units to either side of the SS stood their ground as best they could. However, the SS men panicked, threw down their weapons, and ran into the woods, away from the enemy tanks. But because the wings of the attacker's line mostly held, the Soviet armor could not penetrate too far without exposing themselves. Still, by the time the line was reestablished, the SS had lost 73 killed, 232 wounded, and, most embarrassing of all, 147 missing, who were mostly taken prisoner. It went against the SS code and Himmler's wishes that his men ever be captured alive. Still, Himmler looked after himself and his future goals by having this disaster covered up as much as possible. Later, before the year was out, the unit would be upgraded to SS Division Nord, but Himmler was smart enough to make sure that more experienced men were put into this new division to save himself from another debacle. The following year, 1942, the division was altered to a mountain division, and again Himmler stepped in to make sure his men got the best of everything, including training. In the months to come, SS Giebergs, or Mountain Division Nord, would have its moment to impress der Fuhrer fighting against Soviet Russia. Meanwhile, Field Marshal von Rundstedt's Army Group South was about to get underway. Von Rundstedt had, besides his regular German forces, a large but untried Romanian contingent and the Liebstandata SS Adolf Hitler, and the Viking Division. It was the two SS divisions' job to support the tip of the spear, namely Colonel General von Kleist's 1st Panzer Group. With the SS trucks and tanks, they could add to Kleist's punching power, and he would need it. Kleist's first objective, once Operation Barbarossa was launched, was to take Kiev. However, facing Army Group South, was General Mikhail Kirponos, and he, it has to be said with hindsight, wisely ignored Stalin's orders to ignore any German provocations. This was when Stalin had personally taken over relations with Nazi Germany and believed he could reduce tensions between the two countries. But also with hindsight, Hitler had been planning this attack ever since he wrote Mein Kampf back in the 1920s, it was going to happen, no matter what Stalin did. On June 22, 1941, Army Group South moved out, but right away ran into a better organized defense than Hitler's other two army groups. Again, thanks to Kirponas. Territory was gained, the invaders moved forward, but there was no massive encirclement of enemy troops, no rushing forward of panzers, and incredible hops each day. It was a slugfest from the first. In fact, the panzer's lunges were so muted, the Liebstandarte was not called up until nine days into the campaign to join up with General von Mackensen's 3rd Motorized Corps. Why? Because there were no enemy armies to encircle. They kept backing up, staying together. Even then, when the Liebstandarte entered the Ukraine, instead of dashing forward, perhaps hoping to do so as the first line of Soviet defense had been broken, the SS division found itself 
fending off Soviet counterattacks. These weren't very elaborate, but they were numerous and frequent. This standing still, defending against Russians, who should have been retreating, went on for two weeks. It became hard to remember that the SS unit was a mobile one, but their work was important as the line they held protected Kleist's northern flank. Only on July 16th, as the men from the 6th Army came up to take their place, was the Lieb told to move out and catch up with the Panzers, making for Kiev. As for Felix Sterner's Viking division, their going wasn't any easier. On July 2nd, the Standartenführer of the regiment, Wesleyan Wackerel, was killed in action. His replacement, a sign of things to come, was a Romanian, Arthur Phelps, but he used his mother's maiden German name, Stoltz. He was not German, a bit old for the job, but a fervent Nazi, and would work well with Steiner's vision of a more flexible SS division. Then came a series of achievements for the SS divisions that would make Himmler proud. As the Axis forces came ever closer to Kiev, two Soviet armies found themselves cut off from the overall defensive line. Rundstedt had decided the time had come for his army group to have its first massive encirclement. South of the Ukrainian capital Kiev, at Uman, was where the trapped Soviet armies were located, and to the south of them was General Stupnagel's 17th Army, which had Romanian, Hungarian, and Slovak elements. Kleist was ordered to take his panzer group and approach Uman from the north, thus trapping the enemy forces. The two German panzers met on August 2nd. The trap had been closed. Right away, the Soviets tried to break out, but the Axis forces, along with the Liebstandata, kept them in check. Also, the Viking division was to the north of this encirclement, making sure that would-be rescuing Soviet forces did not attack the panzers from behind. Praise was passed all around as 100,000 Soviets were killed or wounded and another 100,000 were taken prisoner. With this done, Steiner decided for himself to take his Viking division on the offensive, and he used his connections to get the Luftwaffe, currently at its height, to bomb and strafe all before them. The Army's Panzer Regiment was delighted and went along. The Soviet defenders before them dropped everything in order to retreat faster. This continued until they reached the River Ross, about 55 miles due south of Kiev, where the Soviets had set up a sturdy defensive line. Still, this was no match for the concentrated firepower of the Panzers and the Stukas. The retreat began anew. Yet this fighting was not without casualties. Stoltz's Westland Regiment, which had helped tremendously with this latest attack, inflicted impressive casualties, but lost some of their own men in the process. Stoltz had to report the loss of 92 officers and 360 men wounded. The good news, relatively speaking, was that the inferno that is warfare brought the unit of German, Dutch, and Flemish troops together. They were now their own band of brothers. 
as the leading units of the Viking division moved on, their comrades, the Einsatzgruppen troops, got busy within the town doing their job, namely eliminating the Jews of the town. As the Soviet defenders were driven further away, some 1,000 Jews were executed. By now, the SS field troops and the SS death squads were working in harmony, regardless of what Waffen-SS troops said after the war. The first half of August were good times for the SS Viking Division. Now a part of the 3rd Panzer Corps, they had the enemy on the run, hitting demoralized enemy units that were only fractions of their former selves. Then the men and the Viking turned south as they marched along the western side of the Dnieper River, near the Great Bend at Dniproptrosk. But these heady days of working with Kleist's panzers ended when Hitler suddenly ordered most of the 1st Panzer Group north to help with the massive encirclement east of Kiev. Not until mid-September would the panzers return. Until then, the SS were the ones who had to continue the drive. Yet the return of the panzers would herald great news for the 11th Army of Army Group South. Getting back to the Liebstandarte Division with Rundstedt's Army Group South, they were ordered to take a town on the Black Sea. Reaching the coast, they engaged with the defenders and overpowered the Soviets. The port city fell on August 19th, but it was what they discovered upon entering the town that would dominate the next few days of their lives. In one storehouse, the mutilated bodies of German soldiers were found. Dietrich, incensed, wasted no time in telling his men that for the next three days he did not want to see any prisoners taken alive. At the end of 72 hours, some 4,000 enemy troops were killed as they tried to surrender. Just after this, the Liebstandarte was given a chance to rest, its first since the invasion started. For the next two weeks, the men helped repair their equipment, at least half of which, their vehicles and larger guns, had become inoperable from the fighting of the last seven weeks. And just as important, another 674 men were brought up to replace their losses. And this fresh blood would be needed as the division was to join General von Schobert's 11th Army as it crossed the Dnieper to begin the invasion of the Crimea. As the Germans were almost to the land bridge of that peninsula, General von Schobert was killed when his plane crashed. He was replaced by General Manstein, and the assault went on. This attack would be led by the Army's 73rd Infantry Division and the Liebstandarte's Reconnaissance Battalion, and in charge of that was Kurt Meyer, still the star from his time in Greece. But as it was two months into the war, the Crimean defenses were well laid out. Further, they had an armored train that the leading German units could not knock out with their relatively small weapons. Still, several assaults were tried, but all failed. Manstein knew he would have to bring forward his entire force. But before he could commit more of the 11th Army to this operation, the balance of the army had, in fact, kept moving north 
above the Crimea, ever closer to the Rostov-on-Don, a major port city that is located just off the northeast corner of the Sea of Azov. He received news that forced him to alter his plans. Originally, he wanted to have his force that was to the north take Rostov. When that was occupied, it could be held while Manstein in the Crimea could secure the peninsula and then himself turn east, cross over the narrow waterway there, and work his way back around Azov to serve as the right flank for that part of the 11th Army that was at Rostov. Together, the advance would continue, which would close off another access point for Russia. But on September 23rd, two Soviet armies hit the 11th Army that was in the north. So not only was the march on Rostov stopped, but worse, the German units were separated from their Romanian contingent. The tactic as old as time, and one well used by Napoleon, divide and destroy the enemy piecemeal. Upon hearing of this counterattack, Manstein stopped his actions and sent the Liebstandata, one of his few mobile units, back north. As the SS men raced north, they had to cross the Nogay Steppe, and during that time, its immensity awed them. There was nothing but open land, as far as anyone can see, and so flat that it was hard to tell at times if they were actually moving forward. If not for the telegraph poles they used to count their progress, some of them feared that they would have been swallowed up by the nothingness all around them. Further, it only reminded them of how far away from home they were. The Lieb caught up to one half of the 11th Army. The Soviets had done well to split up the larger force, but one, they were having trouble destroying either half, and two, this quick but intense attack left them exposed, should an enemy force come from the north. Yet no word came to the Soviets in the area that that was a real possibility. The desperate fighting continued. The Soviets tried to keep the two forces apart. The Germans tried to reach their allies. Then, as if it were a gift from the god of war, Morris himself, General von Kleist's panzer divisions, which had finished up helping in the north and was now on the eastern side of the Dnieper, came barreling south. First, he had cut the Soviets' communication lines with his panzers in the area. Hence, they had no idea that German armor was in the area. And by October 6th, the panzers had met up with the Germans and the SS division. What could have been a disaster for the invaders turned out to be another victory, with tens of thousands of POWs to show for it. Being attacked on several sides, by October 10th, at least 65,000 Soviet troops surrendered. The 11th Army to the north had been saved, its armor component was back, and the Lieb was freed up to take another port city, Tangarog, which it did, on the 17th. Now, the way was once again clear to drive on Rostov, a major railway hub that, if taken, would cripple the Soviet cause in the area. But before another step could be taken, the rainy season, or Rasputista, arrived, followed by cold winds. The mechanized SS division nor the panzers were going anywhere, 
at least not without maximum effort and a tremendous amount of fuel wastage. The Germans watched as locals tied small horses up to light carts to get around, but no number of horses could have pulled a truck that was sunk down in the mud to its axles. As the temperature continued to drop, the men's morale sank, their hygiene suffered, and then came waves of sickness. Getting back to the Viking division, a part of what made Kleist's incredible rescue at the last second of the 11th Army possible was the determination of Steiner's SS division. That and the Vikings' trial by blood, which bound it to Mackinson's 3rd Motorized Corps. On August 23rd, those forces arrived at Niprotrovsk, a major industrial center mentioned earlier. As the city sat on either side of the Dnieper, this would affect the Germans winning it over or not. The SS Germania and Norland regiments would lead the assault, and the Westland regiment would be close behind. After three days of pretty much straightforward engagements with the defenders, the city's southern half, here the Dnieper bends sharply, going to the southwest, then flows into the Black Sea, that part was now in German hands. Even better, as this half of the city was taken, some units were able to cross the river and set up a small bridgehead on the eastern side. But in reaction to this, the Soviets brought forward several units of artillery to make sure the bridgehead received no additional reinforcements, which mostly worked. To try to cross now was to court suicide. Only when it fell dark would the Germans try to cross. As for any artillery cover during the day or night, the Germans were hampered by a limited supply of shells. Being far from the nearest German railhead, supplies had to come overland by truck. At the end of August, the Germans were told that the Soviets were about to launch a large counterattack to dislodge their bridgehead. So during the night of August 31st, Standartenführer Fritz von Schultz took his Norland Infantry Regiment over the nearest bridge to reinforce the men of the 198th Infantry Division who were only too happy for the help. The Soviet counterattack came as expected and lasted an entire week. The Germans, regular and SS troops, would have their shelters shelled. The enemy infantry would come, but would then be pushed away, and then the Germans would spend the night repairing the works that had kept them safe. During this destroying and rebuilding, the Germans kept sending men over, by boat. But even then, the Soviet artillery barrages were so intense, if the Germans tried to move forward, they would have been decimated in seconds. Still, something had to give. By September 7th, Corps Commander Mackinson and SS Divisional Commander Steiner believed they had enough men, now on the east side, to launch an offensive. Even better, the Germans had been hoarding their shells as they arrived, so it was also believed they had enough to match the Soviets' long-range attacks. Yet the enemy's artillery attacks were still intense, so this was going to be a risky adventure at best. In fact, Mackensen told Steiner that even though the Viking had been told to lead the charge, the corps commander said he would not make the SS leader order his men forward. 
When the morning of September 8th came, the Germans opened up with their own artillery bombardment, but the Soviets answered in kind. At 1 p.m., Mackensen was sticking to his promise not to force the SS division forward. He said, I would rather forego the bridgehead's enlargement than sacrifice a division for it. The question for Steiner was, how much would he sacrifice for the fatherland, for Hitler? But just before he had to make that call, either way, the Soviet shells started coming less frequently. The Germans kept up their attacks, so Steiner ordered his men forward at 2 p.m. With the German artillery leading the way, the Germania and Westland regiments began making their way further into the northern half of the town. It took two days, but the Soviets were pushed out. The Germans were free to cross the Dnieper. As the eastern side of the river was safe in this area now for the Germans, when Kleist came through to get back to Army Group South, his passage was made that much easier. The invasion of this part of Russia could continue. Epilogue the picture that you see as the cover is called the Alosha Monument to the Soviet troops that defended Murmansk in July of 1941. The soldier himself is called Alyosha, an affectionate diminutive form of the common name Alexei, like John Smith. The soldier faces west towards the Valley of Glory, where the fiercest fighting took place. Next to the statue is a stone slab of polished granite. The inscription lists all the units involved of the area's defense and ends with, We honor their defense of this land.